Welcome to Leading Behind the Scene. I'm your host, Gwendolyn Young, the go-to business and operations consultant for six-figure CEOs who are ready to greet their next level of growth. And I'm ready to share tools, strategies, and tips to help you excel in your business and your life. If you're a service-based entrepreneur, be sure to join me each Thursday. Find me on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And don't forget to follow the show on your favorite podcast player so you never miss an episode. And if you love the content, leave me a rate and review. Now let's get into today's episode. Hey, beautiful people. Welcome, welcome, welcome. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, it's your girl, Gwendolyn Young from Your Virtual Admin Expert. And welcome to Leading Behind the Scene, your weekly dose of inspiration to equip you to excel in business and life. So let's dive in. We are continuing this month talking about persistence, making it happen no matter what, and overcoming obstacles. Tonight's guest is a true unsung hero, if you ask me. I am talking about the one and only Minister Tanya Baylor. She is a God-fearing and anointed woman who serves as a minister, motivational speaker, best-selling author, domestic violence advocate, mentor, and devoted mother. With excellence, she strives to live a life of a servant leader. She is active within her community and is often called upon to serve as the mistress of ceremony at various venues, such as churches, youth events, domestic violence, and community outreach programs. She is also an active member of the Board for National Association of Mothers and Daughters United Worldwide, where she has assisted with great passion with the planning and development of programs, events for women and girls who have suffered traumatic experiences. In addition to that, she has served as lead editor and author for the I Am Her Story Project, with over 70 authors who shared their stories of tragedy to triumph, which reached national and international territories, making Amazon bestseller list two years in a row. She is the elder of six kids, y'all. Six. And has been a major influence in the lives of her siblings and mother. Her greatest gift in ministry is her daughter. And if that ain't enough, y'all, that ain't enough. Her day job, okay, she got, she still got day job. Her day job is a paralegal specialist for the United States federal government, where she has served for over 27 years. She's graduated from Northern Virginia Community College with an associate degree in legal assistant. Y'all, it was a bunch of other amazing stuff in that bio, but I was like, we're going to be here forever. So I can't read it all. <laughs> So I'm sure y'all get by now just how amazing she is, okay? Just trust me on that. So, Tanya, you and I met actually through Nemadu. Yeah, yeah. You were on the board. And I came to do some board training and consulting for you all, I think back in like 2013, I think it was. I don't remember the year. I just know it's been been a minute. And then we just like vibed. And then me and mom came down to Maryland to volunteer at one of the events at the domestic you guys were having for women. And we just kind of vibe. What do you remember about that? Because I'm like, it was so long ago. I feel like we've been knowing each other for forever. 
I know it was because, you know, yearly we would do give back to the mothers that was in the house of roof shelter for battered women. So we would go there and pamper them and empower them and just kind of serve them so they could feel different than what their normal life actually was. And you and your mom came down and you all were the guest speakers. I'm a mother daughter duo. And so we served nails and makeup and ate and laughed and cried and prayed and all of that. I don't know. All that. I don't remember the year, but I know it was, yeah, it was a while back, a while back. And we have just been connected ever since. Yeah. Like, I'm like, Kita, she ain't just your sister too. She my sister too now. (laughs) I know. You might as well just get over because you have to share your friend. So I'm so excited to talk to you, right? Because there are a lot of people who do a lot of things in the community like yourself, but wouldn't necessarily like considering themselves an entrepreneur, right? But I kind of consider you guys a social, like a social entrepreneur because, yes, because you're still very much focused on helping to change the lives of people within your community. And I know that I know personally that you've used your own personal resources to like help these social organizations and to kind of move the mission and the vision forward and to help people in their lives. Because I remember you guys were part of even bringing the girls driving from Maryland to Illinois so a group of girls could come attend the Cedar Hope Conference. Yes. And how long does it take to get from Maryland to Illinois? Too long. I don't know, but it was too long. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't like to go anywhere in a car over four hours. So that was definitely a mission. (laughs) And that was like, what, 12, 13 hours? 13 hours. Yes. Yes. And that's probably, that's the longest ride I believe I've taken ever since I was probably a kid. I do not anywhere in the car over four hours. If it's over four hours, I'd rather be on a plane. So that was definitely, remember, I was really sick. You were, I remember. To the, um, to the hospital and a doctor for like the last three months that summer, I was completely sick. I had bronchitis, like really, really bad. Like, so on top of taking that long ride, I was sick. Yes. Yeah, because when you got here, you was like, listen, I got to lay down. I need a room. Mm-hmm. I just, I need a room. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to start a little differently with you because it's Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And uh-huh. I know firsthand the strength that it takes to overcome that. So I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about your journey with me today, because I'm sure that there are several times that you had to kind of persevere to rebuild your life after that whole ordeal. Mm -hmm. So when you hear the word persistence, what comes to mind? When I hear persistence, the first thing that comes to mind is that you're coming up against some form of struggle, Mm -hmm. some form of feeling like you've been defeated a stumbling block, something that's stopping you from wanting to press forward. So it's kind of making you stagnant or to remain in one place and you feel stuck. Once I get that vision of just feeling stuck or something trying to prevent me, then I think of the inner strength that we all have that lies within us where we have to dig deep down. Mm -hmm. And for me, I rely on Christ because, you know, I'm a servant and he's my all in all for him to like really strengthen me to like not remain stuck or in the place that I feel of defeat. So I have to like push my way through. So push and persistence kind of run hand in hand for me because that's what I had to like continue to do for a very long time in life. Yeah. So tell me about this journey from 
being domestically abused to becoming a licensed minister. Kind of walk uh, that. Well, actually, the domestic part actually starts from my family. For a long time, you hear about how certain members in our family were, you know, abused in their relationships. But to, like, bring it a little closer in, my biological grandmother, she actually, I never got a chance to meet her because she was actually murdered by my aunt and uncle's father. And my mother was actually present at the time when that happened. And I believe she was, like, around 12 years old. Oh, like the initial impact of domestic violence in our family. And then I had an aunt who was the eldest of her siblings who helped raise me. So she was kind of like a second mom because my mom had me at a young age. So she kind of taught me the things about being a young girl and then growing into, you know, the teenage years. And her boyfriend at the current time, when she decided to leave him, actually murdered her. In her situation, he tried to make it look like it was suicide. So it was kind of like a lot going on. But the reason I'll never forget that particular day is because I started my job in the federal government when I was in the 11th grade. And I came home so excited about working in the government and, you know, the first day at work and my family was there to tell me that she was actually killed. So the anniversary date of my job and her being murdered, yes, falls on the same day. It's the same day. The same day. Yes. July 6, 1993. Yes. So that always played, you know, like a an image to me. And then just being around family and they're constantly being in abusive relationships, rather they share it with me or me just knowing from behavior and seeing red flags and signs, but having family members to think that that's normal. Like a lot of people feel like the domestic situation that they're in that is normal and is healthy because it's all they know. And so for me, experiencing all of that and just hearing the stories, I was like, I'm never going to be in a situation like that. If I'm ever in a situation like that, this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, just kind of, you know how we do as women. Kind of that situation. And so I years about, I believe it was about 2005. It was a guy that kept pressing me and pressing me to go out on a date. Um, we worked together. Well, he was a contractor at the government agency that I worked for. And so for a long time, probably for about a year, I just kept brushing it off. So I finally gave in and we actually went, you know, went on a date. And before I knew it, we were constantly going out on a regular basis and then, you know, kind of end up being a situation. Oh, we're in a relationship now. I seen signs in a sense of some insecurities and low self-esteem, you know, from a male perspective. But for me, because I'm such a strong-willed woman, I just kind of like looked over it like if things were said verbally. You know, sometimes a man try to tear you down, you know, with their words. But for me, I'm like, oh, whatever. You know, like I just really didn't pay any attention because I'm like, I know who I am and whose I am. But two actual incidents occurred physically and my daughter wasn't present at home. At that time, she was around like four, three and four years old. And so because I was into the church and he had started going to the church, it was kind of like, oh, well, you know, you have to forgive everybody, you know, make mistakes and this and that. Because after the first incident, I was like, oh, no, I'm not about to put up with this. My grandmother got killed. My aunt, you know, I'm going down the list. You're going, and- through, you're going through history. Exactly. These are conversations that I had when I got into a serious relationship. So it's not like they was oblivious to the background that I had. And so I was like, I'm not going through this. And so I left them alone. But because we went to the same church, 
you know, he went talking to the pastor and things like that. And it was a, a situation of, well, you know, just give it another chance. And, you know, the whole forgiveness thing. And because at that time I was really, really trying, you know, to, to live according to the word of God. So I gave him a chance, forgave him, and the incident occurred a second time. And so when it occurred the second time, I was like, oh, I'm done. I'm I'm not putting up with this. And I actually was done, but I didn't break the bond that he had with my daughter because my daughter was not estranged with her father, but her father wasn't actively involved in her life. So when he came in, he took on that role and they had a very good, strong bond. And so although him and I weren't together, I was thinking that I could still allow them to have a relationship, you know, and in turn, one evening, my daughter didn't want what I was cooking. So she felt the need she could call him to bring her what she really wanted to eat. And in turns, when he came to do that, a phone call came in. It was an old friend. Once he heard that it was a male voice, it just went from there. And we literally fought like all night long. It might have started about eight o'clock at night, eight, nine o'clock. And it went all the way till about five o'clock in the morning. And it was like, it kind of, I tell people the best thing is like a lifetime movie. You know how you just see people on TV and they, I don't know, it's just hard to explain, but it was like not a straight fight all night. It's kind of like you fight him, you stop. You act like you're going to leave, but you don't. Then you start fussing again. Then you you swing again. Yeah, it's just like a constant. And so that's how the night ended. So at that point, I was like, I cannot raise my daughter to believe that this is a healthy relationship. This is how men are supposed to treat women. So at that point is when I decided to, you know, like leave him alone for good, press charges, you know, do all of that type of stuff. But then he goes and gets shot. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, he goes and gets shot around the holidays and he didn't have family here. Like his family. Oh, back in. Exactly. So now when I look back, I'm like, ah, oh, it kind of reminds me of Tyler Perry movie Diary of a Mad Black Woman when he, you know, got injured yep. and got to take care of yep. him. Literally, that's what I did. I allowed him to come, you know, and stay with me because he couldn't work, which means he couldn't pay for where he was living at. And and in the midst of that, he proposed. And so, of course, I've always desired marriage and wanted to be married. So I accept the proposal. But even during the time of that, I began to pray and ask God, did he really change? Because once he got shot, it appeared that he was a different person. He verbally said that he was a different person and he mm-hmm. had changed. That was like a life altering situation for him. So I would pray and I would ask God to show me if this is who he had for me. And although he never put his hands back on me again, I'll never forget it was Easter of that year. And he called me and told me to come home. But the way he said it was the sound like normally when our conversation would end up being into an argument, which lead into a physical altercation. And so I had got a little tingling down on the inside and I was like, I know this ain't about to happen again. So I went home. But when I got home is when he told me that he was somewhere else having dinner and it was with some people and whatever happened in a conversation, a young lady said some things that he didn't like and he beat her up. Yes. He Wait, beat her up. Yes. I think it was kind of something like he was over his, like our sister's house or something. And it was a friend. I don't, Gwen, I don't know. At that point, when he told me that, I really didn't care because I felt like at that point, that's when God was showing me that he hasn't been delivered. This is still who he is. So if he can easily 
hit a stranger, you know, because she said something he didn't like, then surely he could continue to abuse you the way that he was doing. Absolutely, because he's familiar. Exactly. And that familiar spirit thinks that it has reign, that Mm -hmm. it can just do whatever. Exactly. So at that point, he was looking for more of a like a remorse because he had, again, he had injured his shoulder and everything from the gunshot. So he was in a lot of pain, you know, from, I guess, beating the young lady up. So I asked him, what you want me to do? And, <laughs> you know, like, what you calling me home to do what? And that's when, you know, his arm and everything. And I told him, you have seven days uh-huh. in my house, seven days. And it was what? And I'm like, you have to leave my house. And, you know, Gave the ring back, you know, no more engagement and things like that. And so, yeah, but it was a struggle within the church, though, because we went to the same church. So in the midst of going to court and pressing charges and then, you know, I went through stalking, like throughout all of that, there was like some stalking going on and restraining orders. Like it was so much that I felt isolated from my church because they were still pushing forgiveness and, you know, for those that like him and he's active. I felt isolated. And I was like, I want to leave this church. Like, I want to leave. Like, who wants someone to stay in an abusive, you know, relationship? You know, that was going to be my next question. Like, man, when do we make the decision that this ain't the place to be? And that's the thing. I wanted to leave so bad that I prayed and I asked God, I was like, God, where, you know, where to go? Like, I don't want to be here. Who goes to church and just have to see things, hear things, the whispers, the things like that. That's supposed to be a place of refuge, a place that you Absolutely. go and it was far from that for me, but he would not release me to actually leave that particular ministry at the time. So while I was wow. there, I had to go through all the gossiping, all the talking. Then it came a time where he started bringing other young ladies to the church. Not that it bothered me. <laughs> you know, it didn't bother Ma'am. me. Ma'am. Yes. Ma'am. Other Ma'am. ladies church that he was dating. He actually, I believe, got engaged to one, so brought the fiance to the church. But during that time, you know, during that time is when God was dealing with my heart because he, I guess he knew, well, God knew that he had a plan for me to go further in where I were because I was an usher all that time where I was very comfortable at. But I believe during that time is when he was building me, you know, he was strengthening me. He was allowing me to endure and experience some things and not be able to, you know, just up and leave the ministry because of all that was taking place. And so eventually, you know, I left the ministry only because, you know, our late overseer became ill and things like that. And so another minister from the church opened up another ministry. So I went there and then my abuser came there too. (laughs) Ma'am. I'm yes, a little ma'am. sick of him. Like, what kind of conversation? Look, what kind of conversation was you having with Jesus? Because this would be a like, listen, Lord. It's um well, patience. Well, patience is only so so much. <laughs> well, patience is only so much. Like you, you testing these fruits of the spirit a little bit too long. But what's happening right now? Yeah, he he came to that ministry. So, of course, because my pastor, my current pastor came from the previous ministry, they were aware of, you know, the background and the history of that nature. All I can say is that, you know how they say you could forgive but not forget? I can honestly say that if you truly, truly want to forgive and 
let God do what he needs to do on the inside, that you really can forget things of the past. Not to say that it wipes the complete memory of what happened, but you know how oftentimes when things hold us hostage and yeah. we can say, I, I remember that like, like it's the back of my hand. I remember like it was yesterday, but it may have been something that happened 10, 15, 20 years ago. It was no longer that. I could tell that when God was done with me, was when I could be in his presence and it was like he was just a brother in Christ, just a stranger or someone that just goes to church. I couldn't remember, like, I know we were in a domestic situation. I do know it was some incidents that occurred, but to remember like the back of my hand and be able to continue to tell the story of what happened from A to Z, I no longer had, I no longer It doesn't have that effect on you either because Mm -hmm. one of the things I always say, and mom mom and I will talk about this when we do our, our episode together about our domestic violence experience. It just doesn't have that same effect on it. So like when we're sharing with the girls or with other mothers and daughters, like that rage (laughs) that at one time I felt is no longer there. And so God, girl, like that's some real, let me be alive with God. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And what he's trying to do, in me, right, in me yeah. and through me, because if we if we listen to uh-huh, this right here, uh-huh. baby, a sister would have been gone, like with no thought, like I'm out of here. Right. Um, I'm gonna see all y'all, I'm gonna see right. all every last one of y'all later. Mm-hmm. And what actually, so the whole ministry thing, like even at my old churches, when you know my pastor was like Tanya. You know, you know, you're you're got you have a calling on your life. And I'm like, uh huh, but I'm I'm doing me right now. You know, that was just the attitude I had. I'm going to usher and be the best usher I could be. And I'm gonna help aid the pastor whenever need be, but I'm gonna do me because I'm not about to become a minister, you know. And that was just my take. And it just so happened under the new ministry because you know, we all grew up in ministry together, they was just a little more stern, like you're not going to just keep doing you. Like, we're not going to see you now start hitting pitfalls because of disobedience, because that's actually what started happening. It was mm-hmm. like God was opening doors and blessing me as a single mom and allowing me to reach goals. But then it was like, soon as I reach it, then something would happen just out the blue. And I'm just like, really? God, what's going on? And it would be things like, I mean, just like when I moved to Maryland from D.C., and I go switch over my license, right? They let me switch my license. But when I go to do the situation with the registration and the tags, they tell me that I still owe money from a car that I had in high school, Gwen. Like, what? I don't even remember. If you could supply the paperwork, <laughs> have to pay these couple of thousand. Like, like what was it? Tell me, what was <laughs> I driving? What was I even driving at that time? And I'm like, what? And so now I have a Maryland license, DC tags, and I'm like, <laughs> money. I just bought a house. Like, how am I going to come up, you know, with this money? And so it was things like that, that would just seem like it was happening out the blue. And, you know, my pastor, and then one Sunday he came to me and was just like, God said, when is enough enough? And I'm like, what are you talking about? It was like, things are going to continue to happen. And he didn't even know any of these things that were going on. Cause you know, how I mean, we handle it, take it with stride and keep it moving. Keep moving. That's what we do. But, and to like line out some things that was going on. It was like, until you say yes, you know, until you say yes, it's just in your yes. You have to be obedient. And I'm like, oh, okay. And even then I was like, I can handle it. Whatever come my way, I can handle it. And I still didn't get it. It's like a hard headed. Mm-hmm. So 
It's interesting though, because you finally had to give your yes, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I think about entrepreneurs as well, because they're kind of servant leaders, because I tell people all the time, business is really about servant. That's really what it's about. Everything else is a byproduct of serving somebody and fulfilling somebody's needs somewhere. And so why is it so important to give in to that yes? What was the impact of your yes? So for me, the initial impact seemed like I shouldn't say a yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we all feel that way. I felt that way. Like, I didn't even have a desire to even be an entrepreneur or any of these things that have happened. And it's like, but here we are. Right. Because it's like when you say yes, you know, we will want the road to be easy. We will want things to easily happen and to come. And that's not always the case. It's like once you give your yes, it seems like things become even more aggressive, even more harder, even more of a struggle. And so it makes you question, why did I open this business? Why did I? just not stay at the job, you know, just for a couple of more years to get more money saved. And then went out, you know, or for me, it was now, girl, why did you say yes? You could have just tried to ride this out just a little while longer. (laughs) You know, God ain't come back yet, you know, and I'm just being honest, you know, but as time went on, I did begin to see the benefit of the yes. Not to say that it took any struggles away and it's not hard days and the journey doesn't get difficult, but the ultimate goal for the yes is very pleasing because when you're persistent, like for me, I just continue, especially in them dark days and them dark moments of just, I have to remind myself why I said yes and that nobody can get to the end of the success, but me. It was the gift that was given to me. It was, the, it was the talent that was given to me. This was the job and assignment assigned to me. So if I stop in the middle and I don't continue to be persistent, if I don't continue to endure, if I don't continue to push through, if I just don't continue, it will never get done because nobody else can travel that journey and get that success but me because that was assigned to me. So as an entrepreneur, you know, you have to remain persistent in the reason of why you started entrepreneurship because that was for you and nobody else can get it for you but you. Even now, years later, I'd be like, why I say yes? Why I say yes again? Like, here's the thing too. Here's what I know too. Look at at your daughter, Mm -hmm. right? Because she's a servant as well. She's Mm -hmm. also a young entrepreneur. She's doing amazing things. And I have to think that that was all connected to you saying yes, mm-hmm. you being obedient to you, not giving in to emotion and really saying, okay, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? And he knew that journey was for you because he couldn't have sent that journey this way. <laughs> he, so he knew that was your journey. Yeah. He was like that chick over there. She going to fail. Like she going to just like keep, Failing, so I'm gonna get her a different journey. Uh-huh. So I think it's so important because we have to think about the impact of what's coming behind us when we say yes. Like who's gonna be affected by that yes? Exactly. Who's gonna be influenced by that yes? Those are the things that we have to think about. And that is such a key, key learning. You know, one, we can't just be affected by what we feel in the moment. Mm -hmm. 
Like mm-hmm. we gotta, we gotta pause. Sometimes you just gotta pause. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. This is like sometimes I gotta be alone. Sometimes I need a little girl, You're telling me. Because I be all up in my head. Like I'm so in it. I like we the <laughs> I do not like the unknown. I want people say you control. You always know it's not control. It's just that I need to know. I need, I need to know. know what I'm into. I need to know, okay, the whole thing. Like if I'm gonna jump out here, I need to know what like, I'm jumping off. Exactly. What I what what I'm landing, where mm-hmm. where it's gonna be when I land, who mm-hmm. gonna be there? Exactly. What, what I'm gonna have access to. Like I, I want to know all the things. Plan A, B, and C. Like and, I, and it ain't always like that. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just out here and you like, okay, I'm gonna take this step and mm-hmm. you know, you can tell me anything now, what it's gonna be. Mm-hmm. Like, we're gonna see. This was like so good. So, what would be your number one tip? Like, what would you say to somebody who's having a really difficult time right now, just like pushing through? to that next thing because considering like all the things that have happened this year we got a pandemic we have death has just been amazing and I know suffered a lot of loss yes um in the last couple years and so it's been some moments where it's just like man can, can I can I do this like can I really keep pushing through what would you say to that person I definitely was in that place. 2020, I just thought would be a year of, because this was the year my daughter, you know, graduated from high school. So as a single mom, that was very disappointing for me because when she walked the stage, that was me walking the stage. And, you know, not that I didn't graduate, but it was me walking the stage of just enduring all that I endured and sacrificed as a single parent and to to have such a great accomplishment for her to complete her education with high honors, like that was just stripped. So that's what I was looking for for 2020. Definitely wasn't looking for death because I'm like, God, we done had so much back-to-back death in 2019 that I just knew we wasn't going to have any death this year. So when 2020 came in like a whirlwind, it was just kind of like, I really didn't know. Um, from 2015, I would say 16, I was in a very dark place, like mm-hmm. a very dark place. So when you say what would be the one thing, I couldn't even, even though I serve Christ and even though I'm a minister and even though I did all those things that you talk about in the beginning, when you introduced me, I didn't have any of that. Well, I felt like I didn't have any of that in me because the place was so dark, you know, from a broken relationship from years and just being heartbroken. Just going through as a single mother, having to go back and forth to court, you know, not that I wanted to, but, you know, when the other parent that's not really doing too much wants to keep taking you to court and pulling me away from what provides for me and my child, you know, so the frustration from that, it was just so much that I was in a dark place. Like I didn't want to eat. I, you know, sometimes you want, all you want to do is sleep. I didn't even want to sleep, but I stayed in the bed. I wouldn't open the blinds. I didn't want to work and I telework. I didn't even want to get, it's not like I had to get in my car to drive anywhere. I didn't even want to get up and go to my office to even work, you know? So I was in a very, very dark place, but those that are connected to me, the tribe that I have, the circle that I have, they knew that I wasn't who I am supposed to be. So those were the people that began to pour, you know, began to say, no, you can't stay in this place. Like you have to find that inner strength that only God can give. And so for me, 
dealing with all of that, the one thing that I would say would be that, and that's because it's just spiritual, that you have to have a relationship with Christ. Like, when everything else fell for me, Gwen, and I didn't want to live, I didn't want, like, I literally just didn't want to exist. I felt like I was existing and not living. I literally was just here. And so when I felt that way, I just cried out to God and I said, God, I know this is not who I am. And I know this is not how you have my journey to be, but I really, really need you to keep me right now because it was so many times I didn't want to be kept. Like it would be times that I would lay down and say, God, if I don't wake up, that will be just fine with me. So I didn't even want to be kept. So I was willing to just accept whatever at the time. And so once I would ask Christ to just, you know, keep me, then my prayer began to change. And I realized that my daughter and my family was the thing that was driving me. Like, it's it's my passion. It's who I am. I'm the eldest child. If you ask my mother, she say, I'm the mother. So now I just say, <laughs> I have kids. I don't call her mom. Sometimes I say daughter, you know, it's a family thing, but it's my family, you know, and we always say like family over everything, especially losing my sister to terminal illness at 35. And then just five months after that, losing my baby brother who was 24, murdered. So just when we were starting to deal with, her leaving us, then we, we we have to turn around and deal with this tragedy. And we were present when he was murdered. So even though the two deaths came so quickly, they were two different types of death. So I actually was traumatized at that time. At that time that he was murdered, I literally was traumatized. And I didn't understand that I was traumatized until actually I started going to right. therapy trying to find out, like, break everything down. I literally, they joke about it now and it joan on me, but I literally had on the same exact clothes for, like, four days straight after the incident happened with him. So that's how so much of a place that I was in. Um, It would be days like that. And so my family and my daughter became my driving force because I know I'm the pillar of the family. And the the blind can't lead the blind. The weak can't curry the weak. Well, you can, but where y'all gonna end up? (laughs) Don't nobody know. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So, you know, it was a case of, Tanya, you're you're the one. You're you know, you're the one with strength. You're the one that has to, you know, keep the family together. You're the one that, you know, just the mantle that was placed upon me. And so that was like my driving force. That was the force for me to keep pushing forward, for me to just keep being persistent at what I know that I've been ordained to do. Um, my sister used to always make blogs and stuff. And the one of the things she used to say is that no matter what happens in life, no matter what how hard it gets, you gotta keep pushing. And so that's what I used to always start hearing. And I would remind myself in remembrance of her, you got to keep pushing. You got to be pushed, keep pushing. You got to stay consistent. And so that's what drove me, like helped drive me out of the darkness and back to the light because, yeah. And it was some things that I gave up on. I, I thought about giving up on some stuff and it was well, stuff that I, 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 think, I think we all have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think too, early on, you said just people started to pour into you. So you know, I always talk about community, like you got to have a community and a tribe of women mm-hmm. that will just surround you when you just don't have nothing. Like nothing. when you don't have nothing, you need people who will stand in the gap for you. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if y'all ain't got no friends, <laughs> you better get yourself. <laughs> I'm just saying. And you got to get the type of friends that know you. So that even- part what's going on with you they know something wrong like you don't even they know when you off kilter they know when you ain't right 
They know mm-hmm. when you're acting funny. They know when, when, when something, they just know. Like, they have that. It's like, they they don't even have to have talked to you. You know, I, I talk yeah. about that, that. I have two girlfriends like that, Toya and Lolita. And it's like, I could be going, I could go MIA. Nobody else will notice it, but the two of them will be on my phone. Like, it's time to check in. What you doing? I need to hear your voice. Like, yeah. And I'll be like, how y'all always seem to know though? Like, like they got that sixth sense or something about themselves. I don't, I don't know what they be doing, but they, they know. Exactly. So you need people like that in your life. Like you gotta have community. So when I hear people talk about, you know, I don't need no friends. And I'll be like, no, you need to go get healed is what you need to do. You need therapy because you need your friends, boo. I'm Mm -hmm. just saying, Mm -hmm. you need your friends. Mm -hmm. So, this was so good, sis. Like, <laughs> and we always have such a good time, right? This is like sitting across the dinner table, like we always do when we get together and just having a conversation and just having fun. Like, we be talking and it'd be like five, six hours, and we'd be like, this restaurant about to put us up out of here. It's like we in the morning, we probably should go home. <laughs> we should sit down. <laughs> Man, every single time, though. So thank you so much for your yes. Thank you for saying yes to today, for sharing your story, for sharing your journey with us. I so appreciate you. Anytime, anytime. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I know you was like, what? I was like, yes. Absolutely. Because that's what this whole thing is about, right? This is about showcasing everyday people who are amazing, who have some of the most amazing strength and resilience and intelligence and just everything. Like I want people to know them, to see them. Like that's the whole reason I do this anyway, because I didn't even want to do it. Somebody pushed me to do it. Like you got it. You got it. And I was like, I'm a background person. I don't uh-huh. be doing all that. Like I'm back here, like telling you what to fix and how to do it. <laughs> That's, that's that's my job. So I'm like, well, if I'm gonna do it, then I need the I need somebody to talk to. Like I mm-hmm. can sit here and talk to a screen if I want to, and I'll I'll do that on occasion, but I like to have conversation and dialogue and just showcase pe- good people. Mm-hmm. So this was amazing, beautiful Thank people. You. I hope that you were inspired tonight. It was so many good juicy nuggets dropped, and I hope that you were given a bit of hope to just keep going. I know that it feels hard. I know that it feels like it just keeps coming, but whatever it is, don't stop. Keep going. And if you enjoyed this, which I know you did, be sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at your admin expert and subscribe to the email list at your virtual admin expert.com for even more good stuff that I don't typically share on social media. <laughs> Minister Tanya, do you want to tell the people how they can connect with you? Uh, I'm on Facebook, Tanya Baylor. Yeah, just I'm so low key. Her up. She really is. She got that beautiful red hair, y'all. And she just got engaged. So you might see yes. her posing with yes. that little hand up. That's her. <laughs> oh, that was one of the things I gave up on. And really? And look how it came back around full circle. This, I was done. I was done. My pastors would have to have me in counseling. That so amazing. That God is love and you have to love and you have to be open to receive love. I was done. I was like, I'm good. I'm by myself. I'm good. I'm raising my daughter. I'm enjoying life. I was good. And it all came back full circle. So your yes has paid off. 
10 mm. times, 10 times, times 10 times. Yes. And yes. Well, yes. thank you, beautiful people, for joining us. I will see you next week for another segment of Leading Behind the Scenes. Good night. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Leading Behind the Scenes. I hope you found some encouragement or helpful information today to help move your business and or your life forward. If you have a specific topic you'd like me to talk about or guests you'd like me to have on the show, feel free to send me a DM on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. I love connecting with my listeners. Also, be sure to follow the podcast so you never miss an episode and leave me a rating review. I'll see you next week.